All right, guys, uh, welcome to another episode of the podcast. Um, today, I wanted to talk, I've got a few things that I, I wanted to talk about, and I've done the typical thing of me, which is I started doing these in order to get a better idea of what I was going to say, um, and I have not bothered, <laughs> and I'm just going to talk. But um, there's been a few things that have come up in sessions recently that I thought would be worth sharing. Um, one of the things that I think is really important to get across um, for people that are struggling with their mental health is how important it is to develop a bit of a thicker skin. Um, now, this is something that I think is you've got to be careful, and I've got to be careful how I talk about this. But I definitely believe that the world nowadays does not necessarily cater for people that don't have a thick skin. And that's why there's so much offence with everything and the whole um, inverted commas snowflake generation um, and things like that. And I was thinking about this the other day because when I, so I left school at 16 with like average grades. They weren't great. Um, I was a bit at school. I sort of paid attention in the lessons that I liked and in the lessons I didn't like, I just, did, just didn't bother. Uh, we spent more time talking about Operation Wolf than we did learning French. Um, and then when I finished school, I didn't really know what to do. So I went to college to learn business, which just seemed to be quite a generic thing that a lot of people that I knew did and hated it. I got expelled from the college basically for just not turning up. I think I managed a streak of about three months without going um, before they called me in and um, sort of said, we don't really think that this is <laughs> suitable for you. Um, and then I was sort of a, a bit of a loss. So I took a job in the print. Um, it was literally, I'm colorblind. So um, in the interview, they said, obviously you won't be a printer, but um, you know, you can be a finisher. So, you know, that just means obviously boxing stuff up, guillotining, collating, sort of just generic factory work basically, but it was 250 quid a month. And that was enough for me to, you know, get a few beers and stuff and hang out with my mates at the weekends. So I took it and I must admit, I was a little shit at that point. Um, largely, I had no real discipline. Um, my parents were probably quite overly disciplined. Um, I was often grounded and they were very strict. And I probably, as a result of that, became very undisciplined, ironically. Um, so working in the print back then, I mean, you're talking about, how old was I? 17. So that would have been 93 when I started working there. Um, and health and safety wasn't a big deal, you know, you, you know, they'd get away with whatever. And as an apprentice in the print, um, there's a lot of rituals that you have to go through and stuff like that. And I mean, they'd done all sorts of things to me. Um, they put a bucket of Swarfager hand cleaner on my head. I got all grit in my eyes. They I used to have long hair and they, they put oil, motor oil in my hair and so that my hair looked like one of them trolls, you know, like Guy Diamond or whatever tied me to a chair and left me out the front of the building for a couple of hours, um, cover me in ink and feathers and all sorts of things they did. And I have to say it was proper character building. Like the banter between the lads and everything was, um, nowadays you'd probably call that bullying, but I found that character building. That, that for me really sorted me out because at that point I would have probably gone down a very different road. Um, I got caught shoplifting. I was doing drugs I wasn't like a real proper deviant, but at the same time, I certainly wasn't your average, you know, um, goody two shoes at that point. And it definitely helped to iron me out a lot. And I sort of think when I, going through the years, like until, uh, so I worked in that environment for um, nearly 13 years. And 
I saw people come through, you know, like new people come in. So, so although I was colorblind, they trained me to print in the end because they forgot I was colorblind and I just went along with it because it was more money. Um, and then I had an apprentice and he just couldn't take it. Like when we started getting him to do things and we made him a nickname, I mean, my, my nickname was Peanut because I came in one day and shaved my hair. Um, my head was the shape of a peanut. They called me Peanut. It sticked. It wasn't, or stuck, sorry. It wasn't necessarily a particularly, um, uh, prestigious nickname to be called but you know when we went for Christmas meal my name at the dinner table was peanut and that they had put little placemats out for me with peanut on them and stuff um, and I just sort of embraced it I just felt like it was part of the job um, whereas this other lads just weren't having none of it complained at every step of the way so we just made his life worse we just gave him more and more grief in the end he left um, and that, I suppose that kind of shows you what it can be like and when I look back on it now, I feel like that sort of banter is what got us through the day because the job was so monotonous and so boring, but I loved going to work. My job was so, so, so mind-numbingly boring. And yet I was excited about going to work every day. I loved my job. And it was because of the people and not the work. It was, and, and I was getting all that sort of shit, you know, like getting like stuff thrown at me and I still enjoyed my job. And I think nowadays, like if you couldn't get away with nothing like that in the workplace now. Um, you would almost be sort of looked down upon for even mentioning something like this now. And I don't think it's helping society. I don't think it's helping people, you know, like you get kids that are sort of saying, Oh, I'm a little bit anxious today and I'm not sure about school. And their mum's like, Oh, okay, then don't go in today. That's fine. And then six months later, they're in counseling because they're not going to school at all. And I know that there's problems with anxiety. I mean, God, I work in that environment, but at the same time, it's overblown in so many cases now because things have been normalized. So, you know, like terms like narcissism, you know, you get someone who's been a bit of a bastard a couple of times and they're all of a sudden, they're a narcissist. You get somebody that's sort of a little bit nervous about doing something new and they suffer from anxiety. You get somebody who likes things in order and wants their CDs in alphabetical order and they've just got serious OCD. So, some of these things that would be considered to be normal by most people's standards, because everybody now and then has got something or other about them that um, isn't necessarily aligned very well, should we say, they're not bloody psychological conditions that you need to label yourself with. But because the world has got like that, and you, you know, I'm not, I'm, I mean, I'm 45 this year, I don't even have a TikTok account, but from speaking to young people and what they talk about with TikToks and stuff is how much there is that is misinformation because it's about things like, you know, my boyfriend's a narcissist. He's not, you just don't get on with him. Do you know what I mean? And it doesn't necessarily mean he's a narcissist or she's histrionic. No, maybe she just had a hard time of it for a few weeks. She's got an anxiety disorder. No, she's just going through teenage life, which is difficult. Now, this is obviously not to say that there isn't conditions like that because obviously there is, but they've been taken out of context in many, many ways. And it's definitely an issue. Um, I feel that, because that type of thing is so common in society. There's so much about inclusion. There's so much about people being upset because you didn't say something in the right way to them or use the wrong word. Um, you've got to be so careful what you say, even doing these things like, like podcasts and videos and stuff. I'm just waiting for the day when someone says you shouldn't have said that. And I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm a genuine guy. I, I'm not out to upset anybody. I just offer like free advice where I can. But someone would turn that around. You watch, you know, like if you look through YouTube comments on stuff like, you know, like Joe Rogan or or even, you know, my good friend Majid, like Majid Nawaz, he, he's 
you look on his Facebook page, he'll post like one thing that isn't even his opinion. It might just be a bit of data. The abuse and the grief that he gets from people that don't understand where he's coming from. And you've got to have a very thick skin to be able to survive in that type of environment. And I, I do feel like nowadays there's a lot less of that. Um, I really do. And I, I feel like it's definitely detrimental. So, you know, being able to sort of take accountability, take responsibility, take a bit of criticism, admit when you're wrong, learn that it's okay to make a mistake, um, find the balance between being too passive and too aggressive towards yourself and other people. These are all things that are very, very important, I think. And if you don't develop the ability to have a thick skin, you're going to be pretty much a victim of anybody else who has, because they're always going to be able to get one over on you. And you're always going to be the one who's caught on the back foot. So it's definitely something to watch out for. I mean, I know that that might have been sounded like a bit of a rant then, but um, like I said, I didn't really know what I was going to cover in this um, podcast today. Um, and that was one of the things I felt was quite, it's quite a big deal. I think also it, it sort of ties in with another thing that I've been hearing a lot at the moment, which is about um, people being sort of nervous and, and anxious around the lockdown ending. Because I've spoken to several people now, particularly young people, who have sort of said that they kind of get, what's the word, like sort of coaxed naturally, not like sort of um, peer pressured, but just gradually sort of ease into the idea of socialising all the time. You know, it's like you're at school all the time, you're with people all the time, and then after school you go to the park or you go and hang out with your friends, go around someone's house, and then at the weekend you meet up and go shopping or go for a burger or whatever. Um, and it tends to be that you sort of grow up in a very social environment. And this lockdown, so many people have said, you know, it's been so nice not to have to make an excuse not to go somewhere. So it's been so nice not to have to um, worry about what's coming up social-wise and stuff like that. And I think it's really... It's, it's interesting to me how some people have realised that they're more introvert than they thought and that the lockdown has kind of shown them that. And I'm not going to get into the whys and wherefores of a lockdown because obviously it's got as many bloody bad things about it as good and whatever. So that's not my area of expertise anyway. But I just found it interesting because, you know, you can go from being somebody that just goes along with the flow and goes out and does what you do and all that to then all of a sudden realising that that's not really how you want to be. And I spoke to someone the other day and they said that her friend, she said her friends have got something planned every weekend from now until November because obviously they're making up for lost time. And she's like, it's just causing me to bloody want to bury my head under the pillow because I can't face that amount of socialising. So I think there's a lot of little hidden aspects around this lockdown and coming out of this lockdown that people might not be kind of quite aware of. And you need to be, I think if you're with somebody like that, you need to be understanding of that because obviously, you know, a lot of these venues, they're going to, they're going to open up and they're going to want to, obviously they've got to make their money back. So there's going to be events going on left, right and centre, you know, the schools, I mean, they've got their hands in your pocket all the time. And you can imagine just how much they're going to be um, increasing the stuff that they're doing outside of school hours, because obviously they're going to want to raise some money for the school. So, there's so many things that people are going to want you doing. Everybody's going to be vying for your attention. They're going to be vying to get your business. They're going to be vying for you to go to their location and do their event. So there is going to be a lot of that. And for people that are kind of introvert and, and sort of a bit more insular, it is going to be hard for them. And you do need to understand that if you've got a partner try who's like that, try to understand from their point of view as well as your own, because I think that's a very important thing. I mean, personally, 
it'd probably be quite difficult for me and my wife. I mean, she's she's quite a sociable person and I'm not as sociable. And it's a difficult thing to explain to people, you know, because my I can be very I can be very sociable. Do you know what I mean? Like I can um, go out of a big group of mates and have a really good night and all that. But I'm just so relieved to get home after that. Um, but one of the things I found, someone was asking me about this the other day because um, I was talking about this. We were talking about this in a session and um, I was sort of telling them about how I am so socially sort of thing. And they said, it's weird because you've never known that. Like talking in a session, you know, you're very, you're very well spoken about things. You've got a good way of talking about things, good way of describing stuff. You never stop like for breath sometimes, you know what I mean? Like you've got, you're really good at all that. And yet you say that you're nervous when it comes to talking to certain people. And I was like, yeah, because in a one-to-one -one situation, when I'm talking about something that is close to my heart, I can talk all day. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not an issue whatsoever. Um, but when, if you put me around a dinner table with my wife's family, I'm quiet as a mouse. Like I don't know what to say. I've got very, very poor social skills when it comes to that sort of thing. Um, probably because I didn't necessarily enjoy family events when I was a kid. Um, we didn't have that many because we've got a very small family. And that's another thing I think where Bex's family is really big. Um, I, you know, I really struggle with that. Um, I'm quite happy to take a back seat as well. I'm quite happy to just sit there and sort of be like blending to the background, but it got me thinking about um, this sort of anxiety in a way, because I remember when I first started doing counseling and I was so, so nervous when it came to my first session with a new client, sometimes up to the second or maybe even third session, I'd be quite nervous. And a lot of that was because I was worried that they were going to, you know, see through me, the whole imposter syndrome. I was worried that they weren't going to like the way that I worked. I was worried that they were going to say, I'm sorry, but why are you doing this job? Um, all the worst case scenarios. And I would say first year, I don't know, I was probably seeing about, for the first year of this, I was probably seeing about 10 clients a week, I'd say. So I don't know how many that would be across a year of new clients, but let's say 100 or so. So over a year, that nerves, those nerves about my first session gradually went. I didn't really work on it. It wasn't something that I was trying to get over. I just, I just carried on anyway. I think I was quite lucky because I think in the first year of this, doing this job, I think I only had one client that didn't come back after their initial consultation. And when I spoke to some other counsellors and they were sort of like, that's not been true for them. They've had a lot less of a success rate than that. It kind of helped me with my confidence a little bit. But even so, it didn't, it didn't take it away because what, what took it away was doing it. It was like, for all that time, I was nervous. And then all of a sudden, it just sort of seemed to fall away. It like, now it doesn't even bother. I don't even matter. I look in my diary and I think, who have I got? And it's like, oh, I've got Dave. Who's, oh, he's a new one. doesn't even phase me whatsoever. I'm not, whereas, you know, when I first started this, I'd know five days in advance when I've got a new one because it would be going through my head. What, is, oh, am I going to say? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? What are they going to be like? What's their problems? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Do you know what I mean? And stressing myself out about it. So what I would need to do if I wanted to, which, you know, saying it, maybe I do need to, I would need to kind of work on this social thing. You know, if I wanted to improve it, the only real way I know how to improve it is to do it. But the thing with 
the work was at the same time as that because i'm so interested in my job i love my job i love the subject i love helping people i, I love the like the conversations that i have with the people that i work with i love meeting the people um it's ironic really isn't it that my social anxiety over the years has been so bad that i wouldn't go out for like three months on on end and yet i work with people um which i think is actually quite that's quite good um but nonetheless because I was doing so much research, because I was reading behind the scenes, I made myself so knowledgeable about my job that it was hard to be unconfident with it because I stacked the odds in my favour. I know I, you could probably coin that as my phrase in some ways because I say that all the bloody time, but it's true. You do. You need to stack the deck. You need to be like, look, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this as well as I possibly can. And this is where that whole military thing of, you know, even the most mundane things do them to the highest standard. But that definitely helped me, you know, numerous times clients have said to me, you know, so you've got such a good way of explaining things in different ways. But the only reason for that is because most of it is just where I've listened and listened and listened to other people and their points of view on that thing and then gradually learn. So if you want to get better at something, you need to put the time in. And that's the problem because the incentive for some people isn't there. So it's, I suppose you could really tie this in with this with this whole sort of um, thick skin. You got you got to practice it. You got to put yourself in positions where you potentially might come a cropper. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You got to put like this is what I say to the kids. You know what I mean? I ain't going to school. It's like look, you've, at some point you have got to face it because if you don't face this, what's going to happen next? You go go to college and then you don't turn up for that, and then you go to work and you don't turn up for that. Like where's that going to leave you in ten years' time? What sort of future have you got if that is going to be the life that you live? You know. It's it's not a wise move. It's not a it's not a sensible choice. So looking after that means taking accountability for the things that you're worried and afraid of, and then facing them like step by step facing them. And that is what I spend most of my time in my job doing is helping people figure out a plan that they want to stick to, that they will do, that will make their days better and better and better as they increase the frequency with which they do the thing that they've decided they're going to do. And if you want to develop a thicker skin, you've got to put yourself in a position where you're going to get criticised and you've got to learn to meet that halfway and almost criticise yourself before they criticise you, but in a positive way, not in a way of beating yourself up so that you're always giving yourself a hard time because that doesn't do anyone any good. It's about being able to say, yes, I cannot do that very well at this point in time, but I'm going to learn that and that and that to make it better. And I've also got this stuff over here that I'm already good at. Rather than thinking that you're the best, the bee's knees and you can do everything and yeah, look at me, I'm Billy Big Bollocks and I can do everything that comes my way. That is usually a side effect of being told you can do anything that you want, which is bollocks because you can't. Like I'm colorblind, I couldn't be a pilot. I should not be a bomb disposal expert. I don't think I'll get on very well with that. Um, do you know what I'm saying? So it's about being realistic about your own limitations, but also not accepting that they, you can never get over them because some of them you can work on. But the point of that is that you've got to put the work in. That's the thing that people struggle with. That's the thing that, like, that's what personal trainers do with people that need to improve their fitness. You know what I mean? I think counselling is sometimes, not always, because obviously there's all sorts of things that get involved with counselling, you know, and I'm not certainly not trying to sort of minimise everything down into one thing here. This is just one podcast about one area of the job, you know, but it's definitely about application of your own mind and making sure that you do things that go against that voice that's telling you you can't do it because where does that get you in the long run, you know? Um, 
developing a thick skin is important. It really is. And you need to do it. It improves your character. Your personality is a different matter. Your personality, you see on social media, right? It's easy to fabricate a personality, right? We can all do that. We can all put a smile on. We can all put our best clothes on, make ourselves look nice, you know, make it look like we've had the best possible day of our family, even though we were ripping the shit out of each other all day because someone was angry and had slept, got out of the wrong side of the bed, right? We can all do that. But character is something that you can, you have to build, but it's something that is separate from personality. You can't just fake it. You know, character is something that is integral to you. And if you want to work on your character, it does take work. It takes effort. It's consistency. It's that consistency versus intensity that I've talked about before. You know, very, very important to, to do that. But anyway, um, I don't know how long this has been going on for. Let me have a look. 20 minutes. Right. Okay. I'm going to stop this one now. Um, but I'll be back with another one soon. And I hope you've enjoyed this and got something from this. Um, and I will look forward to doing the next one, um, however long it takes, because of the fact that um, my work has just been absolutely bonkers lately. Um, and I've not had the mental space to run my page or do my podcast or anything like that. But I'm going to keep these going like for as and when for as long as, you know what I mean? So there won't be necessarily a um, strict order to them. But I don't think that really matters anyway. That's just the way I am in it. You all know that by now. Um, so anyway, yeah, take it easy. I hope you're all all right out there and looking after yourselves and looking after everyone you care about um, and not caring too much about what everybody else thinks outside of that. And um, I'll speak to you soon. Bye.